When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everybody. It's Russ from My Hammers 11. I hope you're all safe and well. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing and hit the bell notification so you're notified, obviously, of uh, any time we've got new content coming out. Lots of great guests. I know I say that every episode, but it's very, very true, including today's guest. You'll you're recognize him. He's obviously, at the moment, he's, he's the quiz master for the Hammers at Home quiz, which is getting a lot easier. I like what you said, at the moment, like I might be getting kicked off any minute. <laughs> at the moment, because obviously... <laughs> for now. Has, for now. I mean, you know, the, quiz, the, quiz, the questions are getting easier, aren't they? They're, they're less my, mastermind, more sort of tipping point slash chase, I think, in terms of, in terms yeah. of questions. But also... I, Go on, Chris, come on, well, I don't want to pull back the curtain on the showbiz aspect of West Ham, but I don't actually write the questions, but they are I, objectively getting a bit easier. But that's because yeah. they were so hard in those initial weeks. They were, they were. I mean, you know, we all know what the questions, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah but I, do, I mean, do tweet your abru- abuse to Rob Pritchard yeah, on Twitter. Rob Pritchard, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. He'll be linked in the description below. Um, but also, Chris does loads of other stuff, obviously. For those of you who remember when we had live football, and we'd had, you know, we'd play at a stadium um, at the London Stadium. Chris was the, um, he's one of the match day presenters there, and obviously does all the halftime games. And you know, I prefer Batak. I love the beat. It, <laughs> to be honest, totally it's quite funny. The kiss of me and just watching them actually getting zero. Um, I, but, yeah, I missed. I said beat, beat the Batak after the last time it was done. I said what I'd like to do is like just take. You no, know, it was on wheels. I'd like yeah. to wheel it out of the stadium and chuck it in the canal, and they can just be there. For well, I, decades. I nicked that idea for a conference I was running. So, like, it was your idea. I didn't know that. No, it wasn't my idea. I nicked oh, it right. back. So I saw it. I thought that's great. So I got one made up. And apparently, I was talking to the guy who, and it was the same sort of board, yeah, machine board. I don't know what you call it as a as a thing. But basically, the the top score he'd ever seen was seventy something, and it was by Jensen Button because they use yeah. it for reaction stuff. And like, you know, we get. We get a season ticket holder come out and get five or whatever, you know. Just <laughs> put a silly coach. Jensen Button should have gone down the hammers and applied. He should do. He should do. Cleared up. He would have. He'd have got that sort of uh, that whatever the, the the prize was, a signed shirt or something like that. Or, but also, Chris does loads of other stuff. You know, he's obviously podcasts. Quickie Kevin, Willie Score podcast with Josh Whitaker and Michael Muslin, absolutely cracking. Honestly, you know. There's nothing decent on the telly to watch. You've all watched Tiger King now. Crack on with that because it's men, it's brilliant, particularly for my era and Chris. All 90s football, absolutely amazing. Obviously, the new one, Footballer's Guide to Football, with our very own Colton and Marlon, which is brilliant. Get some cracking guests on there, obviously. Colton and yeah. Marlon's uh, phone book. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> I know, has that been opened up? We've got Joe Cole on next week. That'd be exciting. Oh, I've always already brilliant. recorded it. It was great. Yeah, so yeah. A lot of fun, that. That'd be great. That'd be great. Um, yeah, it's Chris Skull, by the way, if you hadn't realised. Yeah, the thanks. Intro, yeah. What an intro. What an intro. God, it took three and a half minutes, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst. But anyway, and also, for those of you who don't know, obviously me, me and Chris, we, we technically worked together at West Ham, but we've never actually met. I know, never in, in real life. Mental, only digitally. I know, because Chris is down but there. we still haven't met, technically, have we? We'd like, this isn't... 
this is like, yeah, this is like a weird sort of Zoom first date. I, I think I'm going to get Fred <laughs> from the restaurant come in and, yeah. and see what I want for my drinks order. But yeah. Yeah, and I, and I already feel like I'm going to go for a second date. I'm, already, I'm in. Do you know what I think? Maybe I am, even yeah. third base. Who knows? <laughs> oh, no. Wow. Uh, both our wives are on meetings next door, by the way. So, <laughs> so yeah. Um, anyway, so um, the idea of this, obviously, got nothing currently to talk about in terms of football at the moment so it's all about memories and also going through and talking about sort of your hammers 11 as well so we've got lots of different people all over the world lots of different ages and so it's really nice to get all these stories together um so so for you chris obviously you know massive west ham fan we all know that what would you say would be sort of your your earliest memory of west ham uh undoubtedly bobby Mordine. That, that that was around that was just around the time I first started going to the games and I, yeah, yeah but it's, it's funny I was thinking the other day like I, I vividly remember the first time I came out the west stand lower where I was sat and you just see that green pitch was so bright like being on acid or something it was so vibrant and then yeah I remember that it was in February so obviously everyone's in dark gray overcoats and just the sadness yeah. and the smell of cigarettes kind of wafting across the, the terraces and they brought out that floor on number six. So yeah. that I've been, I've gone back over the season reviews and I've started yes. in uh, 92. Same as me, yeah. It's been so good to go back. And I've been just, I found myself just looking at old um, pictures of the South Bank and the North Bank and remembering the kind of the merchandise cabin that used to sit outside the west stand yeah and those crap little west ham united lights and how crap those stands used to be the west stand and all and just sort of like pictures from around the ground and how like horrible it was and i just find myself missing that so much yeah it's true everything is so polished now the match day experience and that those like everything everything being a bit crap there's something i miss about it there's little <laughs> the advertising hoardings and the kids behind the goals and yeah, the oh, the the pitches being disgraces, yeah. <laughs> like just being and, yeah, exactly. I miss all that. I love. The, I remember the it was the yeah. Someone did tweeted a picture about the porter cabin, you know, and like yeah. I remember like porter cabin. You couldn't go in one way, and it was always like like this. It was really tight, yeah. and uh, yeah, you'd walk down that. You walk down sort of Green Street and you didn't know what meat was being cooked, but it was a nice smell, wasn't it? <laughs> hey, that was the case in 2016. Yeah. That's not like... Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. you want dodgy meat, you can still go out there and find I'm it. pretty sure you can still find it, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but yeah, I it's mean, funny yeah. that that, or, that porter cabin, like, I can still remember the smell. Do you remember yeah. the smell? It was like yeah, yeah, plasticky, yeah. like a yeah. new shirt or something. Like Almost like the inside of a, a new car or something. And you had to like That porter cabin was so exciting. It was because you had like, you had to remember it was behind the desk. Yeah, can I have a look at that? And they'd like send out, you know, like, I don't know, like a, on those stickers, those long stickers you used to get. You just look at it and go, no, I'm all right, thanks. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like a 50p sticker, wherever it was. No, oh, brilliant. No, yeah. I know what you mean. I started the same season and I went back and watched it because um, we've had Robert Banks on it and, you know, he's, He's, he's trying really hard because he keeps getting taken down on YouTube because it's not his content. Oh, really? Um, but yeah, 92, well, well, 93. Because I, I, I know Robert Banks has put them all on um, YouTube. I wonder if I can claim any credit for that because I, I emailed him and said, I really want to start watching all these season reviews again. You'll, you'd have the 92, 93. And so he sent it to me before they were on YouTube. Oh. But the, so I started watching and then I saw him upload them to YouTube and that has just consumed my <laughs> lockdown. It's been so much fun. It's brilliant. Do you know what, as well, like the revisionism of history, I yeah. can't, there's some play, like, I, I've met Ludo, lovely man, yeah. but he was not a good goalkeeper for us. I can't believe, in my head, I just think about the, the kind of Sky games under the lights where yeah. the Man United at the end of the 95, 94, 95 season where he's pulling off all these saves. When you watch a, a whole season of action, you just see the goals we're conceding. You're like, he's, he's I think he was the reason we were bad. <laughs> I know and I, I, I got to be honest I have a newfound respect for someone like Tim Breaker because yeah. in that 92-93 season it, you know and he was and, and beyond he come for, came forward quite a lot and, and was like you know scored a few goals and, and stuff like that and talking to players afterwards like we had, we had Kenny Brown on here and a few other, and he was saying yeah he was the complete sort of footballer you know he was and I never really thought of him like that but I was like he was, he was brilliant for us but yeah, oh, no, it's, a break, know, it's, it's yeah. absolutely brilliant. 
so much it's fun. Steve Lom- Steve Lomas. Like yeah. you, you just said, I just find myself noticing how much better players certain players are than I remembered. Yeah, St- yeah. T- Tim Brake, like you say, Steve Lomas is another one. You're like, wow, he's in the heart of everything. <laughs> Clive Allen, Clive yeah. Allen. I I never remember Clive Allen being that good, but when you watch that ninety two ninety three season review. He's scoring every week. Yeah, I think his goals, his goals, the game ratio is like one every two games or something like that. Mm. I mean, how, how many times have West Ham had a striker who can score like that? Yeah, I know. It's been amazing. It's so brilliant. much fun it's to so go back. Fun. And also listen to Martin's commentary in a bit as well, because he's like, like Martin's oh, commentary oh, on, and yeah. he's brilliant. He's, he's so funny. I think it was, I think it was a '96 one or one of it. He was just absolutely crazy. I think he must have been an acid, bless him. But yeah, it's very funny. <laughs> yeah, I do you know what I, I watched the '92, '93 VHS when I was a kid, like religiously, and, yeah. I, and I can remember big pieces of commentary off by heart. And there's one game where we're playing. I think it's Oxford, and he pronounces Jim Magilson as Jim Magilton. And I, I grew up thinking that Jim Magilton was a different player to Jim Magilton because he'd said the name wrong on this commentary. And when I watched it back, I was like, no, that's Jim Magilton. And now I can Wikipedia and like, no, he was playing in that game. So yeah. my whole life, I thought Jim Magilton was a set, like a different player. <laughs> I've just really just, just connected the dots. <laughs> but thanks. Thanks for that, Martin. Cheers, Martin. Thanks. Been living a lie for years. He's been living a lie. Yeah. And, he, he, and the thing is, he, he always takes that so seriously in terms of the, uh, you know, he'll go to the press officer and get the, the proper and you know, pronunciation for that player. But obviously, yeah. couldn't do it on the season reviews. Uh, I remember <laughs> once we had... Um, when Jeremy was doing it, we had, I think it was Mika Hyde, um, would go up to him. He apparently went up to every commentator, every announcer would say, you know, because they call him Micah, and it was Mika. He says, call me, it's Mika Hyde, not Micah Hyde. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, okay, mate, all right. You know, I had to wind him up then for pre-match then. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, so as I said, what we're doing, we're, um, we're doing your, your Hammers 11. Um, so what we do, we put a few parameters in. We try and keep it to a four-four-two. That's not a problem for you and me. Um, I mean, I've before I started this channel, I never knew what a left half was, and I don't. So think less, I, still... I would say a left half is if you've got three at the back. Yeah. Then you play. You're just in front of where a left back would normally. Yeah, left is half. I think so. Inside forward. <laughs> Um, it's like I have no idea, but four four two is pretty easy. No, I've gone four four two. So good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the other one is you have to be alive to have seen them play. Yes. Um, so I didn't know that was a rule. But well, there we go. Him. Good. Good. So we we obviously couldn't put in Bobby Moore, but we could put in Javier oh, Morgas. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler, in case you have. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and it's your eleven. So you can talk about whoever you want to talk about. It doesn't have to be okay. the best players. It could be, well, it's your players. So it might be the people you love the most, hated the most, sung to the most. It doesn't really matter, to be perfectly honest, Chris. Yeah. So, for the Skull 11, um, who are we going to have between the sticks? Well, I thought long and hard about this. And I think the attributes I want from a goalkeeper are that you just make me feel comfortable and I'm yeah. not sat on the edge of the, the edge of my seat or my heart is in my mouth at least once a game, which those rules rule out Adrian immediately, <laughs> even though lovely man, met him lovely. plenty of times. But I've gone for Rob Green. Yeah. That, that era, you don't... I, I realise now I really took it for granted having Rob mm. Green in goal because he was just such a safe pa- pair of hands. He never really made many mistakes. I mean, he played for England in the World Cup. How many times have it, I don't think West Ham in their history have had a, an England goalkeeper in the, in the World Cup. He was just fantastic. A steady hand on the rudder. Never really like, had many big rickets. Made some fantastic saves. And also he's a bit of a leader as well. You felt like he really cared and he would offer kind of Decent, a bit of a decent bit of leadership in that dressing room, where, where whatever team was around him. So Rob Green for me is is, is our best goalkeeper yeah. we've ever had in my lifetime. Looking back, yeah. and I'm so sad he left after 2012. That was probably the like one of the saddest I've been, like apart from relegate of a, about a player leaving after we yeah. won the playoffs in 2012. You're like, I felt like he was such a core component of that team, and he'd settled into being our goalkeeper so well. And we had Jaskalainen come in after that, and he was never, never as good. Didn't tuck mm. his shirt in for one. I know, he was a very untidy player, wasn't he? Untidy, just, just gangly. Yeah, straight away. Long arms. He was just quite gangly, but, uh, weren't he? Yeah, uh, but, I, you know, a little mention for Bernard Lamar, when he came in, 
I was like, wow. Like, especially after the Ludo years, as I've just yeah. said, I can't believe how bad Ludo was in hindsight. <laughs> like some of the goals. Have a, like, if you're watching this and you're interested in YouTube and a bit of West Ham history, have a look at Ludo's last game for us against Derby County. It's, it's the worst game any goalkeeper has had for us ever. The first goal, he, he, like, he passes it to the Derby defence. The second goal he concedes, he like, comes out, tries to punch it, misses by about a metre, and then they just knock in an open goal. But you watch like Ludo comes out of goal and then in comes Craig Forrest and straight away Craig Forrest is like much more capable. And then yeah. then we had Bernard Lamar who was just like on another level making some unbelievable saves. Didn't look like a goalkeeper. Wore tracksuit bottoms. Yeah. Rare thing these days. But nothing for me in the history of supporting West Ham comes close to the comfort I felt watching Rob Green between the sticks. Exactly. Bernard Lamar. I remember him famously. I remember he came out of the game. You know, obviously everyone... When everyone came out, you know, Green Street was a nightmare for any cars that came up or down, decided to about five o'clock. They'd get stuck, wouldn't they, in the traffic? And and Bernard Lamar, his car came out, you know, and, and he couldn't move. And they were literally play fans on top of the car singing, you know, we got Bernard Lama, he smokes Marlboro Light or whatever it was at the time. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and he was like, you know, pumping his hand out there. And yeah, he was lovely. He's, and, and I think, um, no, I agree, yeah. We haven't done too bad, I don't think, for keepers. You know, it's like you've got Greeno, David James, Fab, you know. David James I never felt comfortable with. Yeah. Never really. I mean, you knew, I mean, he, David James would make eight world-class saves in a row and then it'd just go between his legs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'd much rather consistency. I'd much rather. Agreed. Just, you know, and then people say about Rob Green that he, he was a bit boring or there's the stories about them being on the, like the away coach, the games, the players would all be like, I'm playing a bit of cards, whatever. Rob Green would be reading the Financial yeah. Times. That's what you need to be personality-wise as a goalkeeper. Oh, yeah. Like boring. Like just you, nothing, no hobbies, nothing going on in your life. Just sat quietly at the back of the bus reading the Financial Times, not joining in with the banter. Yeah. Is it like, it's a Rob Green for me. He has all the, the the character types to be a fantastic dog. <laughs> and he does have a bit, you know, he's he's got a good a good bit of Twitter game. You know, he sort of he, he lords on the fact that, you know, he's he's a European Cup winner now. Um <laughs> What a way to play. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Absolutely I know. brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And he's quite funny on he Crouchy's had him on his, his podcast and stuff. He's been quite funny. Right, okay, Greeno is in. Let's go for left back. I mean, I guess everyone's going to say this, but Julian Dix, yeah. I, the Terminator. I, again, it's been it's timely doing this Hammers Eleven because you go back. I've been going back, like I say, watch those season reviews, and I mean that team he played in between like '92 and probably through to kind of '97. He was so much better than everybody else. It's insane. I think he was top scorer a couple of times. Yeah. He got double digit goals. I know he's mm. taking penalties, but. The goal against Man City he scores in the 95-96 season where he marauds forward and just smashes the ball with the left boot. That 92-93 season where we uh, go up in second place, he is just scoring goals for fun. But also, beat, you forget he had a lot of pace and he beat players. He was skillful. He could deliver like, like really long passes and then just score goals as well. And then on top of all that, the leadership aspect, like just leading by example, Definitely. absolute nutter. The fear he would put into opposition teams. He's one of those players that you, like, as a fan, you're so proud that they play for you because mm. you know he's going to give you everything in that yeah. shirt and you know how much it means to him. And, like, when you go back and watch him score those penalties in front of the Bobby Moore stand lower, how many players would score a goal like that and go right up to the fans and, like, punch the air and the fans come over and kind of cuddle him? That happens loads of times. I think just literally the epitome of a talisman. Yeah. Like, I don't see how you could pick how anyone could pick a West Ham Hammers eleven from the last thirty years and not have Julian Dix left back because yeah. he he's a great shout for captain. He just epitomises everything about West Ham. Yeah. Love him. Yeah, you're right. Although honourable mention for Stuart Pearce because when he come in, I remember when we signed him, Harry Renap signed him. I thought, here we go. Like this is classic. Like Paolo Futre is going to play two games in every room again. But yeah. Stuart Pearce was Hammer of the Year. He was, he was. unbelievable for us. Such a like Julian Dixon was out kind of out of the game by then with his knee injury. But Stuart Pierce came in like late on in his career and he just he'd like had a lot of that Julian Dix character. Mm. What what a man to have around the dressing room. And I think he understood the fans. There's a lot of similarities, I think, between the kind of personality of Stuart Pierce and the mm. West Ham fans. So he he'd be on the bench for me in that left back position, but yeah. got to go with Julian Dix. Got to go with Julian, as you said. He pings him in 
and and it, we've said it before. I you know I can't think of many other left backs ever, not just West Ham, but ever, who had that effect on a team and a, and a set of fans. Do you know what I mean? It's like it, it would be one of his naughty tackles or a thirty-five yard yeah. pinger into the corner or a penalty, and he would just galvanise a team from left back. Man, no, it's not the most. I know. I know. Absolutely mental. But yeah, Julian, it's, it's funny you say that about left back because. I kind of grew up thinking left back was the best position on the pitch. Because yeah. not only was Julian Dix like the best, like the best player for us when I first started supporting my stand, but you think about England as well at a national level. Like Graham is so Stuart Pearce. Yeah. It was it was hard to get into that that team. It was like left back. We had so many good left backs as a nation around that time. So I kind of grew up thinking like left back was like a really core component of any formation. I was really like stilted because of all these amazing players we had, especially at West Ham. Yeah, June. especially, yeah, you know, and because of that, June never got the, the England recognition, which I think everyone assumed he would do at 96. And he, he, they yeah. said, oh, yeah, so, you know, bald head, so we weren't going to pick him and stuff. But yeah. All right, we'll put Dixie on the left. Um, other people we've had, we've had Razvan Rat. He's appeared in this That's 11. <laughs> Vlad, Vladimir Le- like a marketing brochure 11. Vladimir Levant, um, he was in there as well. But yeah, Rasmus oh. Rat for the pure reason, Charlie Walsh, it, pure reason of the selfie, uh, the, the onesie picture. The onesie. With, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> right, okay, so for Dixie on the, let's go, have a, let's go for right back then, Chris. Who we got on the right back then? So right back, for me, it came down to two people, Sebastian Schemmel or the person I've gone with, Glenn Johnson. I think... Glenn Johnson, that 2002-2003 that season was, was amazing towards the end. It was a real kind of proto-great escape. And we, we played unbelievable towards the end of that. And especially that run where Sir Trev came in and we almost pulled it back, ended up on 42 points. But the, the biggest component, the, the change that happened in that team was that Glenn Johnson came in, I think 18 years of, old, 18 years of age. He came into that team and he was sensational for six months. And you knew he cared so much about West Ham. You knew he was from the academy. And I think it was one of the greatest tragedies of that 2002-2003 season. And of all the seasons I've supported West Ham, that is the one that hurts the most by a country mile because of the tragedy of what happened to that crop of fantastic young players who we genuinely could have kept on to. Mm -hmm. And if you have a look at what Glenn Johnson went on to achieve with England and, and with Liverpool, he should have been doing that for West Ham. And it was that cruel little twist of fate that couple of them didn't go away Bolton that we, we missed out on him. Yeah. But no one back made a greater impression of, on me than Glenn Johnson did in that six months. And when I think about the best right-back performances I've ever seen for West Ham, it has to be Glenn Johnson in that mm. time period. He was yeah. sensational. He was way better than everyone else. And you could tell this man is going to play for England plenty of times, which he went on to do. And yeah, like I say, an absolute tragedy. But honourable mention for Sebastian Schemmel, who came in, I think he paid half a million for him. And he was just, again, unbelievable. One hammer of the year. And hammer, I, I can't that, think of yeah. any right-backs have won the hammer of the year no. since. But God give my right-back, Glenn Johnson. Plus, he'd have that pace. Julian Dix on one side, Johnson on the other. We're going to, you know, we're going to have those real gonna full-backs bombing on. Exactly. That's what everyone loves Guardiola to Guardiola style. Yes, what I like. Guardiola. That's brilliant. Right, okay. We'll put, put Glenn in. Totally agree. I, I had, I'd had, I had Shemmel in mine. That's just oh really? I think it was a I think it's a toss up really to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Shemmel. But, but Shemmel in that one season where he was good because <laughs> the season after he won Hammer of the Year, I think he was gone by Christmas. Yeah. Like, you're like, what has happened to you? I've never seen a, that was probably the starkest drop in form of a player, yeah. with the exception of maybe John Hartson, yeah. of any West Ham player to go from Hammer of the Year to like, oh my God, you are rubbish in the space of six months. It was, right. it was. I know. Yeah. Right, okay, put Glenn in. Uh, let's go centre-back. So who's going to be your first centre-back then, Chris? So, and this has really been inspired through watching those uh, West Ham videos, those old yeah. season reviews. My first choice centre-back would be Rio Ferdinand. Yeah. You, you, you watch it, but you forget as well how crap we used to be. Like, love Steve Potts, but he was never a kind of a, a proper Premier League centre-back. No. Colin Foster, players like that. I, I, didn't, I didn't catch Alvin Martin in his glory years. When, when I started modern West Ham, I was like, who is this old guy yeah, yeah. we've got? I, don't, I never knew the young Alvin Martin. But then you watch that team transition, especially around, I think it's the kind of 98, 99 season, that, that summer of 98, when Rio's kind of coming into the team and he beds himself in. And you can watch in those clips, those highlights, those season reviews, 
he is a world-class player and you mm. can tell it almost immediately. I don't think at the time I realized how good he was. And, that, and everything changes around West Ham so quick, quickly around that 98 period of time when, when um, Rio gets in the team. You don't see that transition from the old world, Colin Foster, hack it up the build stuff into someone like Rio. I didn't really notice it at the time, but going back, he is such a world-class defender and all that hype around him was genuine and real. And I mean, look at what he went on to do. Yeah, exactly. He, he was fantastic from a really early age. And the other thing I thought about Rio is, I think he benefited. I don't remember there being that much hype about him, not in the same way there was mm. about Joe Cole. Mm. He never had any of that pressure, really. He kind of come through the team organically and was, was known as a really good kind of 18-year-old. So he never grew up with that shadow that was yeah. cast over him like Joe Cole was, having to sign the contract on the pitch and going, I oh, remember your grandkids will, will be able to say that you, that you were there the day Joe Cole signed his contract. He never had that pressure. And he was just sensational. He got to where he got to in the game just by being better than everyone else, having that dedication and having that skill on the ball that like, defenders rarely have, especially yeah. at West Ham in that period of time. So, yeah, yeah Rio Ferdinand for Rio's me. in. Rio's in. Yep, yep. To- totally agree. Totally agree with Rio, as you said. Because um, was, it, was it 98? Didn't he and Joe go and train? As, they went as like a, an auxiliary, like, kids along with the England think, squad for the World yeah, Cup or something I think it was like 99. I think it was after we won the Youth Cup in 99. Yeah. I think Keegan called up Joe Cole to train, yeah. even though he played a few games. But, yeah, exactly. I mean, they were onto something. Good they were, they, yeah, yeah, they knew him straight away. Right, who's going to partner Rio then? So I thought about this. It's fun. Like, this, is, this was a tough decision for me for the other centre-back. And because in, in your mind's eye, there are some players who really stick out at that period of time. And I was like, yeah. are they sticking out because everyone else around them were, were crap. And I, like, I'd also put in this bracket Hugo Porfirio because Hugo Porfirio was sensational when he came in, but that's because, well, he was probably arguably in quite a bad team. But I've, I've gone, I've kind of gone with my heart on this and I've picked Slavin Bilic to go in centre-back alongside Rio. Yeah. And I think that, again, I think, I can't remember, Slavin Rio roughly came into the team at the yeah. same time but that he was just so much better than anyone I'd ever seen before him. It was so calm. Like he knew how to manage games. I'd never really seen a defender control the pitch and act like that proper leader. I don't think we'd ever really had that before. He was able to kind of draw fouls. He was get forward. The thing about Bilic, I forgot, was that he scored quite a few goals yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was just such a capable defender. And I remember when he went to the World Cup in 98 and seeing him in that semi-final was it, was it against France, Laurent Blanc getting him sent off. But that was the first time I was like, wow, a West Ham for a pl- player who used to play is now doing yeah. something like this on the world stage. I'd never, I felt so much pride. I think he might have left by that point. Yeah. But he was the first player I really knew become like a global celebrity. Yeah. Because I missed out, I like, like I say, people of my generation missed out on the Billy Bonds, missed out on the 60s and all that. By the time you start supporting West Ham in the late 80s, early 90s, we're like, oh, fucking, what I'd say, we're like a yo-yo <laughs> club. Like, like, the merchandise, like, um, cabin and stuff like We are a Mickey Mouse team by the, by the early 90s. Yeah. And then within eight years, we've got Slav and Bilic playing for Croatia in a World Cup semi-final and he is quality. Yeah. Again, I think it comes down to that, that transition in the summer of 98 where West Ham under Harry Redknapp change and become this amazing heavyweight club all of a sudden. Mm. And you see after that, we start finishing the top half of the table again, which was unimaginable a few years before. Yeah. And a big part of that was Harry's ability to kind of find these foreign buys. And Slavin Bilic, I think, was one of the finest of all of them. And it's just such a shame he left when he did. Yeah. And that's the thing about West Ham, especially in that era, and arguably even today, when you've got a player like that who sticks out so much, there's always that bit of sadness in your heart because you know you know, yeah. good for us. Yeah. And I, like, Slavin Bilic was the first time I, re- I really became aware of players being too good for us. <laughs> I, I, I started supporting West Ham just after Stuart Slater had gone. Yeah. So, and I think Stuart Slater was the one before Slavin Bilic, who was the player who was too good for us and, and left. So that Slavin Bilic was the first player to really break my heart by leaving to go to, inverted commas, a bigger club, yeah. Everton, where he just spent the next few years battling relegation and injury. So exactly. exactly. Should have stuck around. Shame. Well, well, lucky he did. He came back, didn't he? So lucky he came back. Um, yeah. yeah. He picked a good time to come back. Uh, he got a couple of good players in, didn't he? And uh, yeah. Not not a bad last season at Hudson <laughs> Park he had so yeah. yeah no I agree I agree and I think yeah and I'm pretty sure yeah I'm pretty sure they played together 
I'm pretty sure they were, they were around yeah. the same time, weren't they? So, and someone said on Rio's debut that when he came on, he came on for Alvin Martin. It was his last game. Really? Someone, someone mentioned that. Yeah, I don't know if it's true. If it's Ships wrong, someone night. will tell me. So that is proper, <laughs> like, sort of, you know, passing of the torch, really, isn't it? Yeah. Really? But, uh, right, okay, nice. Nice start. Okay, let's, let's go midfield, Chris. Who are we going to have uh, left wing? Let's go left wing. So left wing, I th- again, I thought long and hard about this. And I've not gone for Joe Cole. And I, well, as, as we'll get on to, I couldn't really find a place for Joe Cole in my, my formation, <laughs> as was the problem for a lot, most of his England career. But I've gone with, on the left-hand side, Matty Effrington. Oh, yes. Matty Effrington was the quickest player I'd ever seen play for West Ham up until that point. And his ability, just ping balls into the box, like expert crosses every time. I can't really, there's no one who's been able to, he could just do it every time. He's like mm. a robot. Clip a ball down the line and just ping it in effortlessly every time. And in that season, you know, in his era, we had like Harewood and uh, Zamora up front. He was just absolutely lethal. Yeah. And I, I never understood, well, I do know why, you know, Everington left. There was yeah. all these rumours about gambling. And I think he probably did need to get out of London. But I think... He was such a sensational player for us and so much pace. And I think that's what you really need in any West Ham team. Yeah. The ability to cut through. The, I mean, every team needs it. But the ability to grab a ball and just race it up the pitch, especially if you're a team like West Ham who's going to be kind of on the back foot against the top teams mm. more often than not. Ability for Matt Evans to get a ball and just whip it up the pitch and get that cross in bang on every time. Sensational. I mean, after he left us, he would just damage us every time he played. Yeah, he knew us. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I love Matty Effington so much. I think he's my favourite left midfielder we've ever had. And like in my mind's eye, he's the fastest, one of the fastest players we've ever had. Well, I think we, I think there's there's a lost art now in, you know, typical wing play. Everyone tries to be so Guardiola and Klopp esque. You know, you play yeah. people on the left, on the right, so they cut in and score goals, but. There was something magical about a, a winger who could just said, ping it in front, beat the right back, clip it in. Simple. Yeah. It's so, it could be so simple football. But uh, yeah, Matty, good shout. Matty, yeah. How many times has Matty come up? Is that, has he come up very often? First time, I believe. Really? Yeah, first time. I'm surprised by that. I've had Laser a few times, old Stan Lazaridis. Oh, no. Uh, but yeah, no. And we have Mark Keller. <laughs> oh, uh, That's why I no, love this. Two, had, two very really frustrating good. players. Matt Everton, for me, is just excitement. Yeah. Like, that ability that he had to just... He scored lots of goals as well. You forget that. Like, how many of a hatching against Wimbledon, I think it was. Yeah. He was such an incredible, incredible pacey player. I'd, I'd like, in my dream, West Ham 11, if I was to go watch this team, I would be so excited to see what Matty Everton could do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and a sort of an in-prime form of Julian Dix yeah. as well. The overlapping would be, be oh, quite special. Well, what a dream left side that is for me. <laughs> Right, okay. Let's go other wing then. Let's go on the right wing then. Who've got right wing, Chris? So this may be controversial. I don't know how often this man's name has come up, but I've gone for Dimitri Payet. Yeah. I almost, I'm always, there's a noticeable tinge of sadness in the way I say that, obviously. (laughs) But Dimitri Payet is up there for me with the greatest West Ham players I've ever seen. He was on another level. The goals he scored, the way he dragged that team up by its bootlaces, Beating players free. I mean, I remember there was a time towards the end of Upton Park where if we got a free kick outside the box, you would see people stand up and get their phones out like every time. I, I've, I've never seen anything like that. To have that ability, to, like he just he enraptured the whole stadium. He enraptured everyone who was a West Ham fan. The way we used to sing about him, I haven't really heard sung like that kind of passion about many other players yeah. in the history of West Ham. And he was... He was there, he burned so bright and he was gone in a flash. But the time he had there, you were so excited for every game. Yeah. Every single game we played. If Payet's name was on the team sheet, you were so, I was so excited. And even now thinking about it, I'm getting excited. Yeah. West Ham have a video on uh, YouTube, I think, of Dimitri Payet, all his assists and goals for West Ham. One of my favourite videos to watch because yeah. he's, he's a world-class player. He was, Got yeah. nominated for the Ballon d'Or. I know. Sure, I don't think there's it. I mean, Tim Breaker's not getting nominated for Blot at all. I think in the history of West Ham, I don't, can't think of, I mean, maybe probably more, I don't know, back in the 60s, but in the modern era, to have a player as recently as 2016, he was nominated for the Blonde or and to score the goals he did, just watch, if you, like any fans who are young and maybe missed out on that era, watch the goal he scored against Middlesbrough. 
He yeah. takes it around. It's like, it's, it's a joke. It looks like it's a, like a comedy sketch. He takes it around to every player. Some players, he goes back and beats them again. I know, and yeah. holds it in. And, yeah. you know, and, and he wasn't playing particularly well when he did that. It, yeah. It's just insane. And that moment at Old Trafford where he scored the opening goal and that free kick, I was behind that goal. One of my most cherished memories as a West Ham fan. He was just sensational and excitement and just everything you want as a West Ham fan in, in terms of like being able to look up to a genuinely world-class player. Yeah. He, Payet is where I want West Ham to be as a club. Yeah. That is the kind of excitement I want week in, week out. And the mm-hmm. fact we had that for a little bit is, is brilliant. One of my favourite West Ham exactly. memories. And I can't yeah. leave him out. No, exactly. And as, as you know, similar to the whole sort of slab thing, you know, it was the stars just aligned for that season correctly. You know, the right manager, the right player, but it's just let him go and play. And that's, um, that's what you need. I think, you know, someone like, you know, I think you can say that with, with, with Joe, you know, Joe was forced into positions where, you know, if he could have just played in a, in a free role, you know, a pie, you know, he could have accomplished a lot more than, than people say he could have. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, no, Demi, yeah, totally agree. Most uh, skillful player I've, I've ever seen at, at Upton Park and London Stadium currently yeah hopefully hopefully that will change um but yeah no i agree i agree and you know when people say oh the way he left and people forget how he came to us he did the same thing and you get that with those sort of mercurial players on out and things like that they throw their toys out they want to go and and play for another club and um but yeah i was was chatting to colton about this and he said french players that's french players (laughs) like they they said they're moody you never know what they're thinking you never really know yeah, what's going on in their head? And I, I can imagine that about Payet. Yeah, I never met no, him, I can. Yeah. And he was, it was nothing of him, was he? A little, little stubby little bloke. Um, but he could just beat three players with dropping a yeah. shoulder. He was an absolutely brilliant player. And as you said, I can't remember. Um, although I remember someone saying, one of, the, one of the video guys at the club was saying they would video him and Lanzini doing free kicks. And Lanzini had a better scoring ratio than Payet. Really? Um, yeah, but I can't. Might be, I can't really did it, but it was some. It was one of the West Ham media guys. Um, anyway, <laughs> we're revealing all the secrets today, Chris. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, okay. We'll play on the right. Let's go centre mid. Who should have your first centre midfielder then? So centre mid holding role. It has to be Michael Carrick. Yeah. Just. Uh, it's funny that generation of West Ham players because that at the time I, I definitely took it for granted yeah. how good all these players were and. I, I think I've said it on quickly, Kevin, but you just assume that they're going to keep coming through forever. And Michael Carrick was one of that whole generation. He was probably at the back of the list. He wasn't really yeah. talked about in the same way as Defoe and Cole and Lampard and Ferdinand. But I think now I look back and when I watch some of those videos and you look at what he did in his career, he was genuinely world-class again. You only need to look at what he's achieved in the game to see he was, for a long time, one of the greatest players in that role in the world. And I think he was great for us in that period of time as well. Go back and watch some of those, um, those season reviews around the kind of 2000, 2003, for that season where we're in the championship. He sticks out like a sore thumb because yeah. that championship level of football is like brutal, like really burly, balls in the air a lot. Michael Carrick seems like he's got hours on the ball. And you, and you just, that's because of his class. You can't even really, def- mm-hmm. you can't, I can't tell you what he's doing. But somehow he's got the ball in the middle of the park and he's spraying balls around. You've got no idea how, how he's doing it, how he's finding the space. And it's, and again, another tragedy of that 2003 season. Yeah. Because if, if we stay up and we, we like, I think probably keep Harry Redknapp as manager, if we're staying in the top half, you build a team around players like Michael Carrick. He was so world-class. He was so good for us. He really loved the club. And I think in my all-time West Ham eleven, the players I've seen, I would love to have him at the centre of that, that kind of defensive midfielder holding role, McAlealy style, like he was in the, what would it have been, 0304 season, just finding the space, spraying Maybe balls around yeah. some of these and made like, get it down the line from Matty Everton to chase on. He was such a great player for us. And again, I'm just, I'd love to see him back in a West Hampshire in my fictional 11 because such a tragedy the way he left and the manner he left and the, who he left for and the money that they paid for him. Leaves yeah. him oh, it makes me feel sick. <laughs> The other it, thing as well, that 2004, is it 2004 player final that we lost to Palace, he is fouled for a penalty. I think, I can't remember who the ref is. Is it Graham Pohl? And Graham Pohl said afterwards. It was Graham Pohl, yeah. He said, he said to Michael Carrick in the tunnel afterwards, oh, I should have given you a penalty for that. 
It's like, well, we lost the game 1 0. You're given a penalty, we score, goes to extra time, we may pull something out. We weren't playing great, but we could have got something. If we win that, you think Michael Carrick doesn't leave. And again, like if we go up in 2004, the whole world could be so different. And Michael Carrick's West Ham career could be so different. Another reason to hate Graham Pohl. Uh, yeah, so it's such a, again, that tragedy of 2003 and especially that playoff final, but Michael Carrick, what a player. Definitely, and I think he's, he's a victim of when he was being born. Do you know what I mean? It's like, he came, if he was born, I think, a couple of seasons either way, he would be in the same bracket. You know, I think he's so undervalued as a player. Um, not just at West Ham, I think you know, Tottenham and Man United, I think he was very much under... It's one of those things, you know, when you... I'm a great believer of the adage, you know, you don't don't appreciate what you've got until it's gone. And that was so true yeah. of Michael Carrick. He tried so hard in that championship year, but it was almost like he was too good for that 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 division as well. So it's like, oh, you yeah. know, it was just like he'd get beaten you up. Can't hang on to it. It wouldn't be fair to his career because he was such a world class footballer. Yeah. But yeah, it's just an all round tragedy. But I always think about Michael Carrick. Sir Alex Ferguson always played him if he was fit. Big yeah. games, whatever it was. Yeah. One of the greatest managers of the modern era believed in Michael Carrick. He got it. And, and when you understand the things he's doing, you have a look at Michael Carrick's stats. Mm. He, he is on a different level and he's, he's doing it yeah. so effortlessly that I don't think as an average fan, you don't even realise he's doing it. But probably a bit like Claude Makaleli. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, put, he's actually pulling the strings on this game and you can't even see that because yeah. he, he makes it look so easy. Mm. He also had Absolutely. that little turn where... Players would come in like he would just do most. It was like half a John Monker. You no, know, John Monker had that little kind of uh, Cruyff turn. Michael Carrick just somehow he would always be able to cut the ball just inside an onrushing attacker. Yeah. I can see it in my mind now. I never understood how Michael Carrick could do that. But again, it's just, uh, he made everything look so effortless. He did. No, he did definitely. And 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 on that on that that Crystal Palace playoff final, even I mean I don't do many of them now, but when even but for like years after that. If I was DJing at a party or, or something, and someone would come up and say, "Oh, can you play Glad All Over?" I wouldn't play it because it's it's, <laughs> it's it's ingrained in my head as this. Oh, I just I could just see a, a sea of yellow because they were all wearing yeah. the yellow shirts, weren't they? And then the Glad All Over. Oh. Was it Sweet Caroline as well? Did they play Sweet Caroline? I, I feel like oh, I can't remember. We thought we play it now. That's all right. Yeah. Um, I would actually say, while we're on the subject, that that losing that 2004 player final is my worst moment as a West Ham fan. Yeah. I think I, I remember coming out of that game and just feeling totally bereft. I felt sick. I like I didn't. I, I was in Cardiff, so obviously Cardiff. I didn't want to come back to London. I was just like, no. I just want to walk the streets. It, <laughs> it hurt so much to lose. Like it was a scrappy game. I think after the way we played in the semi-final against Ipswich, yeah, I've spoken to players about it and they said they were probably too cocky. We'd played so well in that second leg against yeah. Ipswich under the lights up the park, which for me, probably the greatest yeah. atmosphere I've ever experienced that game. It's almost like we just, yeah, we went too early. They, they kind of, it, we just lost our way. Mm-hmm. And that final was just awful. I've never watched it back. That would be one of those, I've watched England, Germany in Euro 96 losing the semi. I watched that back. I don't think I could bring myself to watch the 2004 player final again. <laughs> I, it would just make me sick. I don't think I've ever seen highlights of it. I just remember aspects of it. But it, it was awful. I found it so much worse than the two relegations I've experienced yeah. as a fan. Yeah. Because well, you think... lose, you, you've got the pain of the relegation the yeah. previous year, amplified by the fact you've just lost the season, amplified by the fact you've got to do it again next year. You've got at least another year in the championship and you've got to think we're going to lose all our best players. It's going to be even harder mm. next year. Yeah, I'm getting anxious talking about it. <laughs> Awful. I remember. Also, I hope was, it doesn't happen. It was the famous trilogy of three trips to Cardiff, wasn't it? As well. So it was like yeah. it was the first one, and it's a, it's a two and a half hour car journey back, and it was yeah. so I, different as well because I was so you know it's like you know for the first time it's you and me really it's like we've never been yeah, in yeah. that situation where there was like a Wembley and or like a huge game, a huge yeah, final. Yeah. Um, and I just remember, Car- I, just, you know, I mean, personally, I, I was always a fan. I mean, I loved Cardiff as a, as sort of, as a host of those yeah. type of games because, like, Wembley's can so sterile, you know. Wembley and and way. it's not a day out. Like, no. you're on the tube for 40 minutes. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then you're, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't get, it's funny that, because I don't really get that excitement when, when West Ham played at Wembley. Everyone's like, oh, we're playing at Wembley. It's like, yeah. it's the it's strat, you can change it and get it's the Jubilee the line. Jubilee oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've been to see it take that at Wembley. I didn't really, 
Cardiff, I remember. <laughs> I remember. I remember, I remember sort of we they divided the the city into half, really, don't they? And it's like, and I remember, and I think we had the same half. I think for both all three seasons, all three times we've done it. And there was this. Oh, I just got this vision of this Weatherspoon. There was a massive Weatherspoon with like a two tier glass like window. And I just remember it was just, all you could see was just West Ham fans and some bloke's arse just pressed up against just mooning everyone who went past. <laughs> and that was just that's my abiding memory of Cardiff, unfortunately. But yeah, uh, yeah good. In. Okay, we'll put Carrick yeah. in. All right, I just want to say like that at that 2004 player final, I remember, I remember after we beat Ipswich and then we were like, oh, we're going, we're, our big day out, we're going to go play in Cardiff for the playoff final. I remember saying, even if we lose, it'd be a fantastic day out. <laughs> I remember saying that. What an idiot! What the hubris! I like, do you can't. I, yeah. like, I remember after we lost, thinking, "I said, why did I say that?" Yeah, it was awful. The worst experience I've ever had as a man. Yeah. I remember. I remember driving there, and you put the. You know, we did the ribbons because we, again, we, we'd never done this before. Like, had this little massive game, had all the ribbons around the car and all the uh, the windscreen mirrors, and you know, we got to the the toll bridge to go over the go over the. You know, you have to pay your fiver to go get into get into Wales, but you have to pay it to get out. And it was just West Ham fans, and like yeah. there was a massive traffic jam, and they were honking their horns. And in the car, it was actually it was it was a lovely day out, apart from the result. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I, put Carrie. Uh, I went with I went with my uncle, and it, he um he brought along the hat he'd worn for the nineteen eighty FA Cup final. <laughs> So he had it in a bag. I don't even know how he did it. I, mean, I think we got a limo as well. It was something weird like that. And he got in there. He was like, I've got my bag here from the 1980 FA Cup final. He got it out. And it was covered in blood. I was like, is that blood? It's like, a little, 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 I don't know what you'd call them. Like, like the little kind of fabric hats. And I was like, well, this is covered in blood. He went, I've just remembered I got in a fight after the 1980 FA Cup final. <laughs> and he'd forgotten that it was covered in blood. So I had to stay in the bag. But you're oh. right. Yeah. What if it like that first big day out in got, yeah. 20, it was, yeah. It, for it was us, right. it was our first big day. And then we, then we got yeah. a bit spoiled for a bit. And, oh. and then, yeah, then that's it. Um, uh, until, until obviously we went, went up again at Wembley. But, um, right. Okay. So, uh, my, my, my daughter was, uh, she was due on that day at, Bra- at Blackpool. I remember that really clearly. Did you I go? Was, of course you went. I've seen pictures of you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I went with. Uh, I was. Uh, I was chaperone to Hammerhead and Bubbles the Bear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remember, yeah. Show business, eh? Yeah, show business. And I remember three o'clock. Literally, I had a pint, and I had a, my phone in the other hand. And three o'clock, the phone rang, and it was like it was like a PPI call. I just, I was like literally. And then three <laughs> days later, she was born, and then, uh, then I got into. Then obviously I knew the the, the trophy was going to be, I think it was at Romford. I think it was at Romford. Yeah. So um, I Hall Church. So Romford, and I got uh, I knew the security guy, I knew Eddie on the security guy. So I said, "Can we can I just nip in?" And he, oh, go on, Russ. Yeah. And I've got a picture of her in the cup. Like <laughs> she's like poor, poor, poor cow. She's like you know three days old. Bonk. That's it. Too late. You're, <laughs> you're you done. Go. You're done. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. We will put Carrick in. Who's going to partner Carrick in in the midfield, Chris? Controversially, some some of your viewers may argue I've picked two Judases, but I've gone for Frank Lampard Jr. in that central midfield berth because, again, you watch that, I think, yeah, 97, 98 V8 season review. Yeah. He's so world class. I'd never, like, up until that point, again, you've seen people like Ian Bishop and like John Moncur was good. You remember Danny Williamson, but nobody like Frank Lampard, again, who just quietly went about his business. And he's stealing the show, providing assists, no-look passes, stuff like this. It was like seeing the world in 3D after everything had been 2D. That, the way the, che- the West Ham cha- team changes around 98 yeah. is incredible. And, and Frank Lampard is such a major part of that. He was such a good player for us. And I, I remember when he, when he left to Chelsea, I remember thinking, oh, that's annoying, but that's all right. Yeah. But again, because you just assume there's going to be another Frank Lampard coming mm-hmm. through. And it's like... You just—I was kind of prepared to let him go. And when he went to Chelsea, Chelsea weren't that much of a bigger club than us at the no. time. That was pre-Abramovich. But looking, but I mean, he was always going to be a world-class player. And the, the, that famous Harry Redknapp interview where he's at Rollerball and someone says, um, yeah. "I can't remember who the player is." It Lee Boylan or someone says, "Why are you not playing? Why are you playing Frank Lampard and not this young lad?" And Harry Redknapp says, "There's going to be no comparison between what Frank Lampard achieves and that other player." And you just look at it. He's won yeah. everything. He's played at yes. World Cups for England. He just had that determination and the ability to just 
turn games on their head and score goals. When you look at how many goals he scored for Chelsea and also how many goals he scored for West Ham from midfield, mm. I think what I'd like to have in my team is like Carrick sitting at the back, holding role, Effrington, the man I'm revealing on the second on the right. But then, yeah, Frank Lampard kind of bombing on, getting on behind the front too, scoring goals. He should have become a West Ham legend. I think if it had been born in his dad's era, he would have probably had a similar career and won yeah. fantastic stuff. Yeah, Just, again, a tragedy of the modern era that we weren't able to keep on to him. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Rollerball. God, dear, Collie, remember that? Still there, isn't it? Still there. There's a nice, there's a nice Indian restaurant there, apparently. Is it? Yeah, it's a nice at the top, apparently. Anyway, so, uh, for those who don't know, me and Chris live quite close to each other. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. You've already told him he's going on the right. You've told us Payet's going on the right anyway. Oh, yeah, sorry, Payet. Don't yeah, worry, yeah, sir. That's your, midfield. That's your midfield. Right, let's go up front. Who, who's going who's gonna to be sort of, yeah, your goal guesses. So, watching back over those season reviews, one goal scorer sticks out in the modern era. Refer, of course, to John Hartson, yeah. who was just unplayable in that, I think, is it the 97-98 season? He, come, yeah. he comes in 96-97, um, comes in saves us in the last few months. And then 97-98, Harry Rinnat brings in uh, Trevor Sinclair and players like that to support him, Ile Berkovic. And John Hartson is just scoring for fun. Yeah. Big, like... I've gone for a big man, little man, esque kind of thing deal here. But John Hartson, just an absolute brute of a man. And again, you come out of that period where it's like Tony Cotty, Ian Dowie, your strikers. And then suddenly you've got Hartson and Kitson. But Hartson was just, he was up there with Andy Cole. I think he might have just finished second by in the Premier League top Something goal scorer. Like yeah, yeah, he scored absolutely. But also the kinds of goals he scores, like headers. He's like beating keepers one-on-ones, making runs. He's scoring from 30 yards. He was just unplayable that year. Unbelievable player. I'd never really seen a striker like that. Maybe a little bit of Trevor Morley, maybe a little bit of Clive Allen in hindsight. But John Hartson had all the capabilities you want from a world-class striker. If you could capture John Hartson's form in a bottle that year... You would want it in your all-time West Ham eleven, yeah. and anyone who says otherwise is a liar. <laughs> and and and, I and also again, like watching those those reviews, I forgot how much of a good player Berkovic was as well. Uh, and his little, yeah. the little through balls, it was just amazing. Again, if he was playing for a top four team, he would be one of the all-time greats. Um, I know, uh, and I guess that hearts and kicking his head off is it again one of, one of the another tragedy of the West Ham modern era because they would, them two were a great partnership. They were, yeah, yeah. And Hartson after that 97, 98 season, he came back and I think wasn't allegedly, wasn't he? He got, he piled on the pounds, I think in the summer, but he wasn't quite the same player no. the next season. Yeah. And I don't remember Berkovic being either after mm. he booted his head off. And it was like, I think that dynamic really did change. I think it hurt the team a lot. Yeah. Uh, but people say that that kind of thing happened all the time in training, but I don't know if I believe that because it well, really did. Well, you don't know, do you? Well, yeah. I know I, I had we had um, we had Bertie Braley on the channel, and his first ever West Ham first team training session was that training session. <laughs> so he got called oh, over. He got called over. Him, I believe. Yeah, obviously people go back and have a look at it. But um, he went. I think he was him and Joe got called over by yeah. Harry, and uh, <laughs> literally five minutes in that happened, and. Uh, that was the last, that's one of the last times he trained with the first team since then. Yeah. So perhaps you put him. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I mean, yeah, again, you know, very rarely does a, you know, obviously he, him and Kitson, you know, when they came in, obviously there was a lot, lots of protests and things like that, you know, about the board and things like that. And then they, they came in and would just hit the ground running, didn't they, them two? Oh, just, yeah. you'd never seen, as a West Ham fan, you'd never seen something like that before. No. You'd never seen two strikers who were that dangerous and could score that easily. Now that that I think is it their debut? Is it coming? Oh, I thought it was their debut, but maybe I, now I watch those season reviews. I don't think it is. But that night under the lights against Spurs, where we win four three, yeah, yeah, March yeah, yeah. ninety seven. I think it is that yeah. just come in. That that game. If you watch that season review, look at how everything changes in that game. Yeah. You got the wind. Like the idea of beating Spurs a few weeks ago was like unthinkable. You had like crap like Rudder Choyu. Hearts and the kids had come in and we scored four goals, having not really scored in the kind of weeks up leading up to it. Yeah. It just changed Hearts and Kids just changed that whole team. And, and yeah. as a West Ham fan, you'd never really seen a striker come in and just light everything up like that. He was such a good player for us. It's very true, and I remember, I remember Kitson because Kit, I think Kitson because I used to live in Loughton, and I think Kitson, I remember seeing him in Woolworths. 
Oh God. My, my Siri, my Siri's just come on there for some reason. Um, no, I saw Kitson in, in Woolworths with like the biggest bag of um, pick a mix I've ever seen. It was almost like a bin bag of pick a mix. I had this vision of him going back and just resting it and eating fried eggs, you know. But it was just, yeah, he used to, it, it was brilliant. He was, I loved them as, as a pair. Uh, so what, he, got, what, what great goss for anyone who's still tuning in at this point. There we <laughs> go. There we go. Exclusive, <laughs> exclusive content for you. Right. And who's going to partner Hearts then in this, in this uh, 11? I mean, surely everyone is going to say this, but it had to be Paolo Di Canio. Yeah. Again, yeah, I've kind of picked this team around players that I find exciting and dynamic and just make you so excited as a West Ham fan to kind of turn up and watch West Ham play. And Paolo Di Canio was for a time the most exciting player in the world. I mean, not only was he amazing for us, he really kind of permeated like the public cultural consciousness about footballers, like in a way that West Ham players have never really before, or maybe even since, like him doing that imperial leather advert. Everybody knows who Paolo Di Canio is. Yeah. I'm not sure there'd been a West Ham player in the modern era before that you could say that about. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, you know, somebody like Rio and Frank and the players that come through then. But Paolo Di Canio was a bona fide, like, Hollywood movie star playing for us. And I remember, I'd mentioned it earlier, but we had Hugo Porfirio a few years yeah. before he came in and he was excited and people were really kind of excited about what he could do on a football pitch. But when Paolo Di Canio came in, it was a whole new world. Yeah. He is just unbelievable. Like yeah. the things he would do on a football pitch boggle the mind. So creative. He had pace. He score unbelievable goals and the passion I think is why he will be most remembered by West Ham fans is the passion he had for West Ham. The fact he would wear his heart on his sleeve, typical kind of emotive, Italian. You, now I think back, he had all the attributes from like the, the player that for a player that West Ham fans would love the most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Creative, exciting, passionate, hardworking, dedicated, motivated. He dragged that team onto it at that extra level. Mm. I think was it we, we finished fifth around yep. the time that he was playing. He dragged that team up. And also, it was just such a spectacle to watch us play. Mm. It was so exciting. And everybody knew who Paolo Di Canio was. Yeah. And you just watch his goals. Yeah. Like, if, if I haven't convinced you now, <laughs> that goal against Wimbledon, yeah. the ones he scored against Coventry, that goal against Arsenal that was on the other day, that was the anniversary World Cup. He shorts on backwards, yeah. Shorts on backwards. Mm. He's like a magician. It's, like, yeah. it's not even football, it's art. I think yeah. I tweeted that recently. The things he was doing are so creative. And... Never really seen anyone at the time do something like that, the way he turned players inside out. I love him so much. And uh, there's got, no way I couldn't have us. a West Ham live without him. No, exactly. He just got us, you know, got us as fans. There's not many players or even foreign players, let's say that, who, who got that connection with the fans. And he still loves West Ham, you know. And he, it's just, yeah, you saw his little... Lock, he's, got tattoo. Lock, he's got a tattoo he was doing those keepy uppies and singing bubbles in like a 1950s shirt not even like a match worn oh. shirt someone's gone and bought that or he's an agent or he's bought it himself but you know still uh, and you know it's ridiculously short shorts but he he was just he was just brilliant weren't he and like oh. someone was saying about it the other day you know about paolo and i said, and I said just just watch that bradford game find it because that encapsulated him he was mesmeric he was you know uh, he throw his toys out of the pram exactly he was brilliant he shouted he, he nicked a ball he fought, fought with frank for the penalty you know yeah. but it was just paolo and yeah. he and i think we we love those types of players at west ham that's a great example that bradford game because I, I always say especially if we're doing something like beat the batak at half time but i say like we're in the entertainment industry this yeah. is entertainment. Like I know it's I know it's sport, and I know we're here ultimately to play a game of football. But this is entertainment, and we're yeah. here to entertain people and make them feel different things. And that Bradford game is such a perfect example of how Paolo Di Canio was that because he was frustrating. He was a genius. Like he was temperamental in that game. You've got the whole kind of gamut of Paolo Di Canio yeah, emotions exactly. where he's getting fouled unjustly. Like it's almost like a tragedy or an opera that game. <laughs> Because he's getting, he's getting fouled, he's getting frustrated on. with the ref. He's saying, take me off, I don't want to play anymore. And you're, just, you're like, who is this guy? And then he drags himself up, scores a goal, grabs the ball, brings it back. Like, he, 
he's mm. frustrating and a genius, but you can't argue that he is box office. Yeah. You want to watch Paolo Di Canio yeah. play. And as West Ham fans, I was so proud that we had a player like that who, was, who had kind of, yeah, who'd re- hit that public consciousness who everybody talked about. He's a, even now people know him as a character. Yeah. And West Ham, like West Ham fans still so proud that he played for West Ham. And when he does stuff like that video where he's doing keep up, he's in the West Ham show, it almost makes me want to cry. The fact, I, 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 a legend like Paolo Di Canio, that he choose to, chose to play for us and he was as good as he was yeah. and made us as good as we were in that time as well is still a constant source of pride to me. And yeah. I love him. I think everyone loves him, to be honest. But as you said, no, he's brilliant. And and that completes a pretty tasty team, Chris, I must say. Yeah. It, I mean, you know, with, well, I think we've, you know, with Payet, Di Canio, oh, could you imagine? Could you imagine? Together. together Temperamental. Temperamental God, and obviously, this I, is for... This I is for this team, a, but I think all of them are handed in transfer requests within six yeah, months. Exactly. And Except this is maybe Matty Effrington. Yeah, this is this is a home <laughs> this is for home games, obviously, because anywhere north of Watford, Paolo won't play. <laughs> so we can put we can put Steve Lomas in anyway for the away games. But um, yeah. play one up front. Chris, it's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so so Cheers, much. Cheers, Thank you for having me. I love that. So much fun to do. It's really good. Thank you to everyone else. Hopefully you're still watching. Um, it's been great fun. And obviously, like, share, subscribe, obviously, download and, sub- and subscribe to the, the podcast, you know, quickly, Kevin, and also the Football Sky Football. Uh, and also, you know, the West Ham one, you know, the West Ham Hammers at Home quiz as well. That'll be coming up soon. Yeah. Uh, and until next time, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.